You've reached the Every Little Thing helpline. Please hop to it after the tone. Hi, Flora. This is Sophia. Um, I live in Germany. And very urgent factual emergency I have on my hand. <clears throat> so one time you talked about kangaroos and how the babies live in their pouches. But this isn't really enough for me. I need to know more. <laughs> what does it look like inside of their pouch? Is there a hole, like, where they come from and then they are in the pouch? And <sighs> what's inside it? Very interested. Ja, Sophia, hallo. Guten Tag. Guten Tag, Sophia. <laughs> Hi, Flora. <laughs> How terrible is my pronunciation? It's, it's fine. It's okay. Good. <laughs> All right, well, what would be better? Um, you stretch the U too much, so it's guten Tag and not guten Tag. <laughs> Tough crowd for my first show back. I know you've had this question in your pocket for a long time. Mm -hmm. Sorry I got waylaid by a Joey of my own. Yeah, I hope you are doing fine and your baby as well. Yeah, thanks. How did you go down this furry road. <laughs> One day I was riding my bike and it was the, the big kind of concrete, not concrete, where you have stones and it's really jumping up and down when you ride over it with a bike. Cobblestone? Cobblestone, yes, that's the word. And I felt my stomach shake and I thought, what would it be like if a baby was in there? And then I came up to kangaroos. Because they're bouncing all the time? Because they are bouncing all the time. And then I realized I don't know what it looks like inside the kangaroo pouch. That's an amazing train of thought. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Do you think that you'd like to live in a pouch? Um, at night. I think it must be really comfortable and warm. And I'm always cold uh, when I go to bed. So it, it must be nice. But I think it would be really, really tight during the day. And I like my, my space. I guess you're right. During the day, it's a terrible Zoom background. Yeah. Probably <laughs> creepy in meetings. Probably. Also very, very dark. All right. So you called for the inside scoop on kangaroo pouches. <laughs> exactly, yes. Jumping into health is Robin Beck. Any excuse to talk about marsupials. It's a pleasure. Robin's an evolutionary biologist who has studied kangaroos and other marsupials, mm -hmm. which means he can tell us what it's really like inside the pouch. It's a little bit damp, um, a little bit sticky. It's just bare skin. Oh. It will be pretty dark inside. So it's this nice sort of warm cave. It sounds a little bit like from a horror movie. So it's dark, it's damp, <laughs> it's warm. Don't forget sticky. Sticky, thank you. Yes, now could I forget? <laughs> But new kangaroos don't start out in that sticky baby burrow. They're born in the normal mammalian way. They come out through the vagina. So far, nothing special. Mm -hmm. Although kangaroos have three vaginas, so it's a bit more complicated. What? Pause. Why do they need three? So marsupials uh, as a whole have two vaginas. They have two uteruses. But when they are ready to give birth, they form a temporary third vagina in the middle. <gasps> What? It's that that the offspring leaves the mother from. They have two vaginas and then they form a third one when they give birth? Why? It's a developmental quirk of kangaroos. How does it form? Like, 
do they just make a completely new hole? So the new kangaroo flu is internal only. There's only one hole exiting the body, and all the vaginas connect to it. It's like three roads merging into one. That's disturbing, and it's very interesting. I know. So the baby kangaroo wriggles out, and this is what it looks like. Imagine a pink jelly bean with a sort of mouth at one end, very poorly developed eye spots, and these big sort of Popeye front legs or arms, and then no hind limbs at all. It basically just sort of tapers to a point. So it's a jelly bean with arms and a mouth. That could be a good mascot for someone. <laughs> for who? Um, uh, definitely not a jelly bean company. <laughs> <laughs> Do we have a picture? How about a video? Okay, I, I'm opening it now. Kangaroo birth, it's called. Oh, oh, <laughs> it's so moist. It's, it reminds me very much of a hatching bird. Do you still feel like it should be a mascot now that you've seen it? Absolutely. Why not? I mean, what do you mean? I mean, because it's mm -hmm. hideous. <laughs> well, that's very judgmental of you. <laughs> that's very harsh. It's a baby. Okay. It, I mean... <laughs> Human babies, when they freshly come out, I think they don't look like, um, who's a good example, Heidi Klum, um, either. <laughs> I can attest to that. <laughs> so that jelly bean with arms and a mouth squirms out of the roo hoo ha and then scoots towards the pouch. This newborn marsupial sort of commando crawls up to the pouch, so it seems to be able to smell the pouch. That's what helps guide it. How long is the way? It's a fair distance. You're talking, um, I don't know, maybe a foot that they have to crawl. That's actually a lot for a jelly bean. Yeah. Yeah, that's impressive. I'm, I'm proud of those baby kangaroos. And once they get to their fur cave, they find that it comes with lots of helpful amenities. Mm -hmm. First, plenty of sanitizer. A warm, sticky cave is a good place for bacteria to grow. So there's these antimicrobials that are secreted that protect the developing offspring from uh, infection from things like bacteria. Mm -hmm. Which is especially important because the joey is doing all of its baby business in there. So the pouch doubles as a roux-loo. It sounds not tasty. It's funny you should mention tasty. That's how house cleaning services work. The mother will clean that with uh, her, her mouth and tongue and she will keep that pouch nice and nice and clean. I feel like you're really low-key about that. Like, we are talking about the mother licking the shit out of the pouch, right? <laughs> um, and that's something that many, many mammals will do. If you look at <laughs> things like rabbits, they will happily eat their own droppings um, <laughs> to get um, additional nutrition from that. If you look at newborn koalas, for example, the first solid meal that they eat is actually their uh, mother's droppings. Okay. The reason they do that is that they need to get particular microbes into their gut, which will help them digest eucalyptus when they move on to actually eating leaves. Flora, I have a question for you, and maybe it's too personal. Oh, boy. But did you, did you eat your child's poop too? Because it sounds really, really healthy. Maybe you, we should consider doing that. <laughs> you know, I think there's a limit for me. <laughs> Thank you. 
So this four-star pouch towel also comes with a full room service menu. Within the pouch, there are four nipples. Four nipples to accommodate any pouch mates with their own dietary needs. At any one particular time, a kangaroo can have multiple offspring on the go. So you can have one nipple that produces a particular kind of milk that's well-suited to a relatively well-developed offspring. And then the nipple um, to which the much younger offspring is attached gets a different kind of milk that's perfectly suited for those earlier stages of development. They get different baby juices out of them. That's, that's remarkable. Nature is so crazy. But how do they differentiate which nipple is for which little jumper? So we don't know for certain, but what we can say is that the one that they attach on to when they first get into the pouch, they will stay like that for several months. And then even when they're sort of detaching from that nipple to be outside, they will still go back and feed only off that particular nipple. So somehow they know and somehow the mom knows. Yes, they do. And I think... Presumably, there must be some kind of muscular feedback. So depending on, on sort of how strong the sucking is, possibly, that might have an impact on how the milk develops. The jelly bean spends about five months in the pouch, getting bigger and bigger, growing fur, eyeballs, hind legs, until it doesn't look anything like a jelly bean at all. And how big do they get before they are not allowed to come back in and have to get their own place? They're getting pretty large, so maybe a third of the size of the adult, something like that. So the pouch is no longer the ideal place for them to be. They're, they are literally outgrowing it. A third of the parent's size before they climb out, that's huge. Because imagine having such a big thing inside of you. That must be very uncomfortable. You know, I think even having a seven pound, 10 ounce thing inside of you can be very uncomfortable. <laughs> so yeah, it has to be terrible. But at least it doesn't have to come out of a way too small for the job hole, like some other species I know. Yeah, I guess so. But also they have to lick up their poop and pee to keep it clean. So <laughs> They're trade-offs. Yeah, they're trade-offs. <laughs> Would you want to live in a kangaroo pouch now that you know what it's like inside? Like if there was a human-sized pouch available on Derzillo. Would you put in an offer? Absolutely not. No, no, no. <laughs> now that I know about the poop and pee and the nipples, the nipples are also a very big no for me too. <laughs> but maybe you'd have beer, coffee <laughs> coming out of the nipples, anything like that, I could consider it. After the break, my sister Ruth calls in with a question about the other TSS, toxic squash syndrome. Am I in danger when I make butternut squash soup every three days in the fall? You want to know if you should fear your soups? Yes. Hello? Hey. Oh, hi. Oh, hi. We're having technical difficulties, so I thought I'd warm, warm us up on the phone. Oh, okay. I noticed there's a lot of activity in the Thanksgiving family shared Google document. You know, actually, I wanted to talk about that because 
where have you been in the document? (laughs) Also, did you hear mom's plan for stuffing this year? No, what? Well, because the turkey is being purchased from down the street pre-cooked, she's going to buy turkey legs to cook the stuffing underneath them. <laughs> like like stuffing pants for the turkey legs? <laughs> I don't <laughs> Only you would be like, you know what makes sense when I think about this is if the legs are standing up like a <laughs> pair of pants, turkey pants. Turkey pants. Um, Turkey bloomers. Turkey pantaloons. You're not going to riff with me on this? No, I actually, well, have we talked about bloomers as a family thing? Mm -mm. Did mom have you dress in bloomers when you were a kid? No. Okay, so I did. It's basically a (laughs) pair of shorts. It's like a giant diaper. But I would wear them... Like, I remember going to a sleepover, and we had no pajamas, and instead I was just wearing bloomers and a t-shirt, which feels like I was born in, like, 1890 (laughs) instead of 1990. Will you be wearing that to Thanksgiving dinner? Let's hope. Maybe I'll tie-dye it so it feels more contemporary. (laughs) (laughs) All right, should we get on to the show? Yeah. Okay, will you turn on your recorder? Okay. So, um, last year you called us with a pumpkin mystery. Yes. We titled that episode, WTF Happened to My Pumpkin. (laughs) And you're back with another fall vegetable pickle. Oh, I am. Let's hear your question. Here we are. It's that time of year, fall. I've been making a lot of soups. They've heavily featured butternut squash. Lo and behold, I see an Instagram post in which someone is, I shouldn't laugh, in which someone is detailing um, a number of incidences that have occurred in the Hudson Valley of squash poisoning, gourd poisoning. There wasn't a lot of information available. I did immediately text it to you, Flora, so I assume you've seen it by now, but I need to know more about this. Is this a real thing? Are we in danger? Is the fall forever going to be tinged with anxiety for me now that I know about the possibility of being poisoned? You know, in your voicemail, you seemed really tickled by the idea that people could be poisoned <laughs> by their squash. All right. I. <laughs> it's not a good look for me. Uh the poison (laughs) (laughs) laughing now, but it's not at people being harmed by squash. It's just something about it. Like, I can't tell. Is this a serious thing? Is it common? Am I in danger when I make butternut squash soup every three days in the fall? Like, is this a real thing or was it just sort of a, (laughs) I don't know, a hysterical Instagram post? Hysterical as in like not hilarious. Funny. Sorry, I meant like <laughs> <laughs> why? Why is my brain going there? Why do I so? <laughs> Maybe it's from a place of deep fear. You know, like this is really frightening, and the only way I can cope with it is humor, nervous laughter. Yeah, exactly. Okay, you want to know if you should fear your soups? Yes. So we called someone with the scoop. 
Hello, Ruth. Does that voice sound familiar? Is this an expert I might know? It's Steve Reiners. He brought you up to seed on your pumpkin paternity (laughs) issue last year. (laughs) And he's widely known as the planet's preeminent pumpkin pundit. Never been (laughs) called that, but that does work for me. Professor Pump. (laughs) Professor Pump says, it's real. Toxic squash are real. I'm in shock over here. There is a name for the affliction. It's called toxic squash syndrome. Yeah. It's interesting because the the term toxic squash syndrome is, is relatively new, but it's something that we've known about for many years, that squash has the potential to make you sick. Wow. Toxic squash. Not a laughing matter, Ruth, but... <laughs> Also not likely to kill you. We've known about it for a long time, but it's just now getting out there in the world. Who's been keeping the secret? I know. Why isn't this headline everywhere? Dangerous TSS during PSS. (laughs) Pumpkin spice season. I was just talking about pumpkin spice lattes. So here's how your squash can turn on you. There's a compound, it's a natural compound that all squash have, cucumbers have it as well, called cucurbitacin. Hmm. Cucurbitacin. 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 I'm saying it right. (laughs) Why am I saying it again? (laughs) So cucurbitacin is made by squash and cucumbers naturally. It's an insect repellent, and the plants will make more of it when they're under stress. And I bet if you've ever grown cucumbers, you've tasted cucurbitacin. Because in cucumbers, very often, if you're growing them and it's very stressful, if it's very hot, if it's very dry, you may notice that the cucumbers, they're okay, but they taste a little bitter. That's the cucurbitacin that's in there. Okay, so... Basically, any time I've done a backyard growing experiment with cucumbers, they have not tasted good. They're bitter? Yeah. It's like very sharp. So that flavor is cucurbitacin. Cucurbitacin. (laughs) Yeah. In low doses, it's not going to hurt you. Okay. Good to know. And the plant's genes control whether it can make a toxic amount of it. So to keep people safe, seed companies have bred these genes out. Mm -hmm. But those genes are out there in wild squash or gourds or whatever. And they can come back when one of your burpee squash crosses with a wild one. And then you plant those seeds. Whoa. And this has happened. Steve has a story. This must be about 15 years ago. We got a call one time from a woman who was growing zucchini in her backyard. And... All the zucchini from all the plants was fine, except for one plant that looked a little bit different. So she she harvested the zucchini, she cut it open, and she noticed that it almost smelled like cat urine. And that's another sign sometimes that cucurbitacin levels are high. Cat urine inside the zucchini. That's the signifier? That's the signifier. If you cut it open and you're like, uh-oh, where's the litter box? Don't eat it. Right. So when she tried it, it was extremely bitter. She spit it out. Um, But apparently there was a neighbor who didn't want to see any zucchini go to waste. And he he cooked it up. He forced it down. And he got very sick. Oh, God. Yeah. So he he developed um, stomach pains. He developed diarrhea. Um, He was dizzy. 
and he had all kinds of problems like that. Eventually, he, it, it took a few days, but it's, it's sort of like a food poisoning. I'm really shocked by the neighbor who choked down zucchini, which is like the most common, <laughs> overabundant vegetable of the summer. People literally put them out and are giving them away for free because so many grow. So the idea of a neighbor being like, waste not, want not, I'll just eat up this hot cat pee dish, yum, yum. <laughs> That's shocking to me. You feel like he deserved it, is what you're saying? No, this is such this is such a bad. <laughs> not reflecting well on me. I just mean that part of the story shocked me. I guess I'm wondering if it varies case to case. It sounds like for this guy, he had food poisoning and then it was done. Is that like the worst it can be? There have been reports of people's hair falling out from TSS. Okay, so it can be worse. Yeah, it can be worse. You know, the thing, the thing, though, is that it's pretty easy, it seems like, to avoid this pumpkin pitfall. Yeah. It's not a culprit that isn't announcing itself. Most sane people would spit it out. <laughs> you don't need to be a pumpo sir to know that your squash should be kiboshed. <laughs> that was good. But I do think there's a, there's a clear take-home, especially for pumpkin pie season. Lay it on me. If it if it tastes bitter, just just put it aside. No pie, no die. No pie, no die. <laughs> if your pumpkin is funkin, <laughs> what's the second part of that one? You're gonna be chunkin. Oh my god! Yeah, but you have to make sure to say punkin. No p in there. If your <laughs> pumpkin is funkin, you're gonna be funkin. I mean, shit. <laughs> If you're all right, let me try one more time. Let me try. If your pumpkin is funkin', you're gonna be chunkin'. <laughs> Should I get into spoken word? Do you think I have a future there? <laughs> I can tell by your laughter that is a strong yes. Do you have a burning question you cannot get out of your head? We are here for you. Please call us, 833-RING-ELT, 833-RING-ELT. Every Little Thing is produced by Jahi Whitehead, Adley Robinson, Stephanie Werner, Bibi Flanagan, Annette Heist, and Flora Lichtman. With help from Nicole Pasulka and Doug Barron. Edited by Caitlin Kenny and Jorge Just. Scored by Dara Hirsch, Emma Munger, So Wiley, and Bobby Lord. Mixed by Dara Hirsch. Every Little Thing is a Gimlet production and a Spotify original podcast. No Zook. No Puke. Goodbye.